The Bible says do all things without what? Grumbling and complaining. Why? Because Jesus is so much better than whatever your thing is. See, when you're a grumbler and complainer just like everybody else, it demeans the witness of Jesus. What you're saying is God's not really that great. God's not really so awesome. God doesn't take care of us. But we live in a culture that is driven by grumbling and complaining. But they are, the haters are, the ones who are subverting the gospel, the complainers, walking according to their own lusts, not following Jesus, not walking in the way of Jesus, but walking against whatever their passions are. When we grumble and complain about the problems we face in this world, we're definitely not keeping our focus on our Savior. Pastor Daniel will encourage us today not to let the complaints of others be our go-to response. When we're being a witness for Jesus, we need to also trust that he's in control. He's bigger than any trial we face and any problem in this world. He will conquer in the end when he knows it's best, and our grumbling won't change that one bit. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Jude, verse 14, with part two of his message, The Juxtaposition. Jesus is What Jude does is he talks about this prophecy of Enoch, which you actually get in the book of Enoch, which again was one of those intertestamental books that we don't have in our Bibles. It's called an apographal book. A couple people have asked about that because Jude quoted another one in the Assumption of Moses. And so, you know, it's these books that are in between that we don't consider them to be inspired by the Holy Spirit, but they do give us understanding into the culture Things like we talked about uh, Judas Maccabee last week. In the book, there's 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Maccabees in those intertestamental books where we learn about how the festival of Hanukkah came to light and all these different things. But notice that in Enoch's prophecy, and Judah's linking it to these leaders, these haters, right? There's two recurring words. That word is the word all and the word ungodly. Over and over and over again in this prophecy. Look at what it says. It says... Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now listen, what this says is that God judges haters as to who they are. Now, people don't like this today. People, in some way in their mind, say, well, I don't want to believe in a God who would judge people. And I'm here to tell you, you don't want to believe in a God who wouldn't judge people. Because part of God's perfection is being able to say, listen, that is wrong. See, this is the problem that we have in our world today. Now, listen, we have a lot of problems today. But the problem is, is everybody wants justice, but nobody has a foundation stone for what justice is. So justice is completely arbitrary. It's not grounded in anything. And the reason our culture struggles so much is because when you remove God, the true and living, the creator and sustainer, who is the ground of all things right and good and true, when you remove him out, then you try and call for justice. It's like, well, is there really justice? 
like if somebody believes in the survival of the fittest, and even if you don't believe it in a Darwinian evolutionary way, I think everybody in some ways believes in survival of the fittest. Like when a weird strain of virus comes, children and the elderly are the most vulnerable. Why? Because they don't have as hearty of an immune system because of their early age or their extended age, right? And so the idea is what might not kill someone in one area could kill somebody in another place because of the things in their bodies, right? So in the survival of the fittest, then stronger should always defeat weaker. So what's the problem? But there is a problem. Why? Because when you hear that, you're like, well, that's just not quite right. Exactly. But when you have nothing to ground it to, then how do you make a call for justice and have anything to say about it? Because it's amazing, like right now, like you see all this crazy stuff going on in our world today, right? But yet we're sitting in a country that have killed 58 million babies in the last 50 years. It's like, how can you call for justice for the most vulnerable when the most vulnerable are lives who are in the wombs of their mother, completely dependent upon their moms? How do you do that and say, that's just? You know what I mean? And so our culture struggles because you can't find a solid ground anywhere. And the reason you can't find a solid ground is because we remove Jesus and God from the essence of who we are, which is the essence of who we are, because the Bible says in him we live and we move and we what? We have our being. And because God is perfect, God judges ungodliness as such. You do not want to follow a God who says, yeah, do whatever you want. You're human, just have at it. Have a blast. Who cares? That's not a perfect God. A perfect God says, this is wrong. And I'm here to tell you, all these people killing each other, it's wrong. It's all wrong. That's not God's design. God's intention was not death, it's life. And that's why even in a world full of death, Jesus comes on in and says, look, I'm going to give you, through my own death and resurrection, I'm going to give you life because I didn't create you to die, I created you to live forever. Listen to this. God is righteous, and when God judges, God's judgment is right. And the reason Jesus Christ came was to bring you out of judgment into light. Now, if you say, I don't want to believe in Jesus, then listen, you will be judged by the perfect God, and you have failed, and so am I. And the reason, the only difference between you who maybe isn't following Jesus and someone like me who is, is that we're both in the same spot, but God said, look, I'm going to avert your judgment because I gave it to Jesus, and I'm smart enough to say, thank you very much. I will say thank you to that. And God wants the same for you to say, look, we all sit condemned before a holy God because we have failed. And without Jesus, I have no hope. But because God sent Jesus as the sinless, spotless Lamb of God who took my sins upon him, I can believe upon Jesus. And because Jesus took my punishment, then I don't have to. And God is offering that gift to you. And God wants you to say thank you very much. And when you believe in Jesus, you avert the judgment because God gave it to Jesus instead of giving it to you. If I'm you, you run to that. You don't walk to that. That's the best deal ever that God is saying, look, you deserve judgment. Why? Because you have been ungodly and you have acted in an ungodly way and you have done things wrong. But you know what? I know that you have, but I gave the punishment to Jesus because it was a debt too big for you to handle. And I'm grateful for that. But our God is a God of judgment because he has to be. He would be imperfect if he didn't. And Enoch's prophecy is about that. Now, before we leave this whole thing, we still find Jude's not quite done talking about all of this. 
Because look what he says next in verse 16. It says, these are grumblers, complainers, walking about in their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 18, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. Now, these last four verses, they teach us a little more about these people. And really what I want to do with this little section here is I want you to just ask yourself if you're any of these things. Because if you are, this puts you in the hater category. And guess what? That stinks. You don't want to be in the hater category. These are grumblers. Are you a grumbler? They changed the stage at crossroads. No, 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 no. Yeah. Don't do that. It's not smart. It's a hater. Grumbler. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look at the next one. Everyone loves this one. Complainers. I don't know. Listen, we all have the complaining disease, don't we? It's raining. It's not raining. It's so hot. It's humid. It's not humid enough. You know, it's like everything. The food's cooked. It's not cooked. It's too cooked. It's cooked too much. Am I the only one with the complaining disease in this place? You guys pray for me, okay? Because you guys got this. Listen, don't be a complainer. The Bible says do all things without what? Grumbling and complaining. Why? Because Jesus is so much better than whatever your thing is. See, when you're a grumbler and complainer just like everybody else, it demeans the witness of Jesus. What you're saying is God's not really that great. God's not really so awesome. God doesn't take care of us. But we live in a culture that is driven by grumbling and complaining. But they are. The haters are. The one who are subverting the gospel. The complainers, walking according to their own lusts, not following Jesus, not walking in the way of Jesus, but walking against whatever their passions are. That's a problem. I always tell people, don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus. Because your heart's your own personal Judas. Your heart left up to its own devices outside of following Jesus will get you in a total mess. Don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus. Notice this. As they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. This is good old-fashioned business, 101. You know, you butter them up so you get what you want. Right? These guys know how to do that. They know how to they butter people, say nice things so I can get my advantage here. But notice verse 17. But you, beloved. We're going to see a number of these but you's. I call these the glorious buts of the Bible. Right? I call this message the juxtaposition because we have these haters over here, but we're different. We're meant to be unique. We're meant to be a contrast. But you guys, listen, you guys remember, we were told that this was going to happen. That's why you need to read your Bibles. Because the Bible reminds us that all these things are going to happen. Paul told the church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, savage wolves are going to come in to distort the truth. All through Paul's warnings, he sounds a similar warning. In Timothy chapter, 1 Timothy 4, 2 Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 4. Peter talked about it, 2 Peter 2, 2 Peter 3. It's all over the writings of the apostles that, listen, in the last days, people are going to come and they're going to try and subvert the gospel. And that's why we keep our head in the book. As I like to say, we get off Facebook and we put our face in the book. Why? Because... Facebook is, and listen, you guys know I like the book of face as much as everybody else. 
You know what I mean? But we need to keep ourselves in the word because the word tells us that these things are going to happen. So when they happen, you're like, oh yeah, this is one of those situations where this person in the name of Jesus is inviting me to live in a way that isn't in the word of God. And we need to know the word because the word hems us in that we might be people who follow hard after Jesus. And he's saying, look, you guys knew that this was going to happen. And then notice this little triad at verse 19. These are sensual persons. It means fleshly, soulish, without spirit people who cause divisions. Are you divisive? (laughs) Divisiveness is a mark of a hater. Why? Because grace brings together And Satan divides. Grace unifies and the flesh pulls apart. When someone's being divisive, it's a hater. It's not a good thing. God loves it when the brethren dwell together in what? In unity. Amen. And then, of course, not having the spirit. See, really the problem for these people, much like today, is that they don't have the Holy Spirit. They are not indwelt by the third person of the Trinity who comes and indwells all who would believe. But as we move on from here, look at what it says in verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others say with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. My friends, we need to be crazy opposite. See, this is the juxtaposition. We need to be crazy opposite from those haters. The haters are going to hate. The haters are going to undermine the cause of the gospel. Now, Jews like, no, 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 listen. This is who you're supposed to be. But you, beloved. First, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Beautiful. That's the biblical concept of edifying. Our job is to build one another up, not tear each other down. That's why grumbling and complaining is a big problem. Because when you go rumble and complain, now you pass along your negativity to somebody else. And guess what? That tears them down. doesn't build them up. It brings them down. When we cause division, that brings people down. doesn't build them up. But you, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith. Our job is to push each other up, to help each other, to make each other stronger, not weaken us. Not only that, notice what this, praying in the Holy Spirit. I love this. Praying is in the present tense. Now, I don't believe this is necessarily speaking about praying in tongues. It's about praying led and directed by God. I think one of the biggest struggles that we have today is that we pray about what we want, and we don't pray about what God wants. We say, Lord, I want this, this. And I say, Lord, not my will, your will be done. What do you want, Lord? And it's amazing the things that God will ask you to pray for, like your enemies, that's in the Bible too. Let that their own devices. I mean, you don't want to pray for your enemies unless you pray that they get run over by a truck or something. Right? Like, that's who we are sometimes, right? Like, Lord, man, I mean, like, I know you're all merciful and stuff, but like that guy, if you just like wipe him off the face of the earth, you know, delete his Facebook page, it'd be so good, you know? But when you pray in the Spirit, you start praying according to the Word of God. You start praying different types of prayers. You start saying, Lord, how can you... Use my life instead of, Lord, what can you give to me? So we want to be praying in the Holy Spirit. Not only that, it says, keeping yourself in the love of God. This is the idea of abiding in Christ. And that's a knob that is on our side of the wall. There's pieces of us 
keeping ourselves in the love of God that we're responsible for. God doesn't impose it on us. God allows us to make decisions and he honors those decisions. Are you keeping yourself in the love of Jesus right now? Are you abiding in Christ? The problem with the distractions of the world that we live in is that the distractions of the world that we live in cause us to stop abiding in the love of Jesus. And we stop abiding in the love of Jesus and all this other stuff starts to blossom. With the knobs on your side of the wall, are you abiding, keeping yourself in the love of God? Are you cultivating God's love within the garden of your heart? Are you allowing the spirit of God to be the master gardener in your heart? Because all the bitterness and all the stuff, he starts pulling that stuff out. He's like, yeah, I know you kind of like that flower, but that thing's poisonous. I think it'll kill you. Just getting that stuff out of there. We need to keep ourselves in the love of God because we're supposed to be crazy opposite about different things. The love of Jesus, I mean, it's beautiful. Jesus' love was self-sacrificial. Only the Spirit of God will cultivate that in our lives. And then, of course, it says here, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. This speaks about us having this reality that Jesus is going to return. We are looking unto the return of Jesus. I had someone recently, because I'd mentioned it, I had a friend of mine who doesn't know Jesus, said, so you really believe that Jesus is coming back? I mean, I mean, didn't that dude die like 2,000 years ago? I'm like, yep. I'm like, but he rose again. And I'm like, guess what? When he rises again and all bets are off, he's coming back. He's like, oh, I never really thought about it that way. He's like, I just thought you guys were just nuts. I'm like, well, it does sound a little crazy, except it's real. And at some point, Jesus is going to come back. And one of the ways that our lives are propelled forward in all these things is when you realize that Jesus is going to come back. And when he comes back, he is coming back with the thousands of his saints that Enoch prophesied about. And he's going to bring judgment. He's going to declare right from wrong in a way that no one's going to be able to argue with. And he's not going to need Supreme Court verification on the truth either. And that's a beautiful thing. And because of that, we are constantly looking forward We're constantly looking forward, saying, Lord, when soon this life is past, only what we've done for Christ will last. And then he reminds them, because of all this, he says in verse 22, and on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others say with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. See, he reminds them that although we're meant to be different, we're supposed to also be on mission. We're supposed to be on mission. And because of these false teachers, some people are going sideways and they're struggling. He's like, look, on some people, you need to have compassion. They've been subverted by a bad teaching. And one of the ways, that's what I love about what Dr. Bill Ritchie, our founding pastor, has done at Crossroads. He started this church on the word of God and teaching the whole counsel of it. Not just like I'm picking and choosing. I got a verse to you, but I really want to talk about this. But teaching the whole counsel of the word of God. And that's such a powerful reality. Why? Because when you have to teach through all the word of God, false doctrine is very hard to find because you'll always end up teaching something that ends up undercutting the false doctrine. And that's the beauty of the whole counsel of the word and it being taught. And I want to encourage you, if Crossroads isn't like the place that God is meeting you, find a church that teaches the whole word of God and sticks to the text. Why? Because all the weird teachings, the teachings that are going to get you sideways, at some point they're going to have to talk about those teachings and they're either going to have to wiggle around it and you'll know that they're doing it or they're going to have to submit to it and that's the best thing. I can tell you as a human being, I don't like everything in the word of God. Some of it I don't even agree with, but it's God's word and so I believe it. And God's word changes my heart. 
Because I realize it's not my words, not my ideas, not what I think it's right. It's what the word of God says. And that is why God has given us his word. But when someone gets subverted by false teaching, you need to be, have compassion on them. They didn't get there because they wanted to be there. They got there because they made a mistake by following the wrong teaching. And we need to have compassion and grace because has anybody here ever gotten a little bit on a hobby horse about something that really isn't God's heart, but we got on a hobby horse because someone encouraged us to get there? Pretty much all of us, right? We ended up in this big thing. We're all worked up about this thing. It doesn't matter. But somebody got us all worked up and now we're all messed up. And grateful for godly people who come alongside and you say, come on. It's okay, yeah. Listen, we don't have to talk about it. We're just gonna, we'll just walk together. And they help get you on the path. And he even said in some, you gotta pull out of the fire. When I think of this pulling people out of the fire, this speaks about the work of evangelism. Because there's some people who aren't, didn't get subverted by bad teachers. They don't even know who Jesus is. And God's on a rescue mission and he's looking for more hands and feet on that rescue mission. And those hands and feet are just not me or a pastor. It's the people of God. God has each one of us to be part of this rescue mission. Now, notice what it says, verse 24. Beautiful close of this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. My friends, we need to get our worship on. You need to get your worship on. See, it could almost be like Jude got everyone depressed. Like, man, there's these people in the church and they're subverting everything and they're messing everything up and people are getting sidetracked and all this stuff. But then he says, no, listen, no, no, no. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. I love that. Because sometimes you look at the world, you're like, how am I ever going to make it through this thing? Right? How am I ever going to keep my faith intact in this crazy world? Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling. See, we got to get our eyes sometimes off of all the mess and all the gook and all the issues, and we got to put our eyes on now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Now, I don't know about you. I'm grateful that Jesus' arms are stronger than the weakness of my walk. Jesus' arms are stronger than the weakness of your walk. He can keep you from stumbling. And not only can he keep you from stumbling, he can present you faultless before the presence of his glory with what? Exceeding joy. Jesus is real. God is looking for people to be his hands and feet here on earth. Those of us who follow him are tasked with being just that, helping pull people from the path of destruction. This includes us staying on the right path with God, and Pastor Daniel shared how we can do that in today's message. As we follow God more deeply, we'll be able to share Him better with those who truly need to know Him. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. Thanks for joining me on Jesus is Real Radio. I realize that not all of you who listen are followers of Jesus, but I actually believe that there are many of you right now as you've been listening, you're saying, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus. I want His death and resurrection to be applied to my life. And if that's you, I want you to pray this prayer with me, which is just saying thank you to Jesus for saving you. Let's go ahead. Repeat this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, 
I'm so stoked for you. And I want to get some more resources in your hands to help you continue this journey. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 51400, 51400, and we'll get some resources into your hands. Now don't go anywhere. Some folks from my team want to share some amazing things with you. Thanks, Daniel. Again, if you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Daniel, take out your cell phone and text the word SAVED. S-A-V-E-D to 51400. We'd love to get some resources into your hands and the Crossroads team wants to connect with you. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel shares truth and insight from the book of 2 John. In it, the Apostle John teaches how important it is to proclaim the truth of the gospel, but to equally love others at the same time. This can be tricky, especially as many today have abandoned one for the extreme emphasis of the other. As we strive to follow Jesus and mimic his life, though, we'll see that he displayed both perfectly. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series called Little is the New Big. Until then, may God bless.